Good morning, Village Church. If I don't know you, I'm Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at the Village. I'm glad to be with you this morning. Um, this morning, we're going to hear later on from uh, Tommy, our youth director, and uh, you might see some stuff hanging on the back walls. And if you remember last year, as we talked about Hume Lake, you'll remember some of the things we'll talk about this morning at the end of our service. Our youth staff was here at 7.15 this morning, working on these things, making pancakes, serving one another, being with the middle school students. And uh, so I'm feeling a little youthy this morning. And I was a youth director or youth pastor for 12 years, about a dozen years. And, uh, and when I was a youth pastor, we always would do these like little interactive deals with the students because we wanted to keep their attention. And I think the reality is we all have a little adult ADD. Is that true? We can all pay attention for only so long. So here, at your seat, you have one of these cards. Here's a little interactive deal, all right? And, and it, it may be every other seat, so maybe you, your spouse has one, you have one. If you have a neighbor that doesn't, you could pass theirs to them. But you kind of hold it up and show me that you have it. This is what we do. All right, good. Hold okay, great. You've got it. I've done this with you before. It was a larger, it was a larger object lesson. Um, there were more, uh, more dots on the page. But the 90-year human life in human years. So here's birth and here's 90. Um, if you have Kaiser genes, you have to add another line. My grandfather lived to 101. So like if you got to add another line, go ahead. You know, if you're feeling good, go ahead. But the average sort of human life or the typical human life, birth to 90 years. So what I want you to do is if you have a, a pen or something to write with, um, I just want you to, to color in, like, where are you? Yeah, see, there's size already. There's size already with some of us. Color in where you are, and if you don't have a pen, someone next to you does one, you grab it. If that doesn't work, what I've tried is you can actually etch it with a key or something like that. I just want you to kind of notch it off. <laughs> notch off the years. I know where mine is. For some of you, you're going to look at this card and you're going to think, well, I have so many years left. And others of you are going to have been one of those who let out the sigh, you know, like there's not very much time left. And even as we go through an exercise like this real quickly here on a Sunday morning, the reality is who knows how much time we have left. Life is pretty short. So what should we do with the reality of the brevity of life? What should we do with the reality of the brevity of life? People have thought about that question for thousands of years. And the first thing the teacher tells us this morning is this in verse 7, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Now, we might not have expected this from the teacher. He can, well, he can seem on the surface to have a bit of a pessimistic view on life, right? We've been talking about the meaninglessness of life. That has been the theme of this sermon series. And, well, he says at the end of this passage this morning, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So we might not have expected this from the teacher. Seems a little bit pessimistic, but what I believe he really wants us to see and know, even in the midst of all of his realism, look, he tells it to us straight, but even in the midst of all of his realism, I believe he wants us to know that life is sweet, so we should enjoy it. Life is sweet, so we should enjoy it. The teacher has already told us six times to rejoice. And he's about to tell us in the next verse for the seventh time to rejoice. And this means something. In the Bible, seven obviously is a number of completeness. He's tying a bow, as it were, on his argument, getting toward the end of the book. He's wrapping it up. He's tying a bow. He wants us to see that, that we should enjoy the life that God has given us. One of the main themes of Ecclesiastes, in fact, is the enjoyment of life. And if you're like me, and if you're like the teacher, and what he's just described in verse 7, 
Sometimes all you need to enjoy life is just to go outside and to get a little sun, <laughs> right? Have you ever had a sunny day when you're working in the office and you just want to step outside for a minute and just go like, and just let the sun shine on your face? This is in part what he's pointing to. I don't think we've um, actually known this um, in any greater way than over the last few years. I mean, living in Southern California, we probably take this for granted. We have the sun a lot, <laughs> maybe too much, right? We get the sun a lot, and, um, and I think we take this for granted. But during that, that COVID season, you know, when we we're all sorts of supposed to be in the house, I mean, people were just overjoyed, like, oh my gosh, let's just get outside, let's take a walk, let's ride our bikes, let's do all the stuff we usually do. But we began to appreciate that a little bit more. And I think it began to direct people's gaze to God a little bit more. We get outside and realize, oh, the beauty of the sun, the feeling of the sun on our face, and all that we can see, and we're reminded, yeah, the heavens declare the glory of God. Our family, we tried to get out as much as we possibly could. Actually, my son and I are working on a little endeavor that, that started, was birthed during, during that, that time. We wanted to get outside and get people over to our house. Don't cough in each other's faces, but have a good time. Enjoy the few years and the few days that God has given you. We used to drive down to the beach. I remember one day we drove down to the beach and I literally stopped on the 55 freeway because there was not one car going either way. And I stopped the car to take a picture because I know this will never happen again. I just told my family, like, let's get outside. Let's go do stuff. Luke and I would surf at Newport Beach. There's not a single soul down the rest of the jetties. Like, just get outside and, and enjoy what God has created for us. There was a theme song, I believe, for our family in that season. It was by Old Dominion. If you know country, you probably know it. Open the sky, glimpse of heaven. Take the top off the CJ7. Our family has a Jeep. It's our daughter's Jeep, but I try to commandeer it as often as I can. And the top was off, and we'd drive the Jeep with the top off, and we would, well, we'd get sort of nasty looks from the few people that were on the road as if us going 50 miles an hour could, you know, somehow the molecules could jump into their car. But I digress. We would just, like, be on our way to go something, somewhere to do something fun. Open the sky, glimpse of heaven, take the top off the CJ7, let the surfside Santa Ana wind mess up your hair. And let that windshield frame the ocean, radio, keep coast to coast and... If we don't get where we're going, baby, I don't care. I'm already there. Because I'm stuck on you and you're stuck on me. I never got to wonder where my honey bee ain't saving all my sugar for a Saturday night. <laughs> Seven days a week, I've got an appetite. I don't know what that means, but you can look it up. I'm getting to the good part. The sun sets like a tangerine. Let's find a road we've never seen. Don't waste another mile or a minute not kissing me. Life is short, make it sweet. And if you don't know the song, I think you should go look it up because it's got a great rhythm and it's good when the music's loud and the, like, the wind's blowing in your hair. They actually caught a reality of life I think some Christians often miss. I think sometimes often people like us, we're reformed, baptistic kind of tradition, like some, some of our churches can tend to be a little tight and we're so worried about enjoying life too much, that's a shame. God's given us marriage, and God's given us relationships, and God's given us family, and God's given us his creation to enjoy. And what the teacher is keying in on is the reality that life is indeed sweet, so we should enjoy it. And there are so many things in life to enjoy because of the goodness of God. 
I mean, the feeling of the exhilaration of, of the water flowing over your body when you dive in the water. Like when I surf and body surf with Luke, like duck diving a wave and the, wa- the feeling of the water going over the head. And there might be a reason for that, but just it goes over my head so, so smoothly, right? And it's just, it just, it feels so good. That first duck dive under the water when you're surfing. The view of a California sunset, I mean, the other night, did you guys see it? I mean, you had to have seen it, right? Like everyone's posting it on Instagram. The taste of your favorite food or your best drink or glass of wine, you just take a bite of the food and you're like, oh, you know, it's so good. And you, you literally say something because you're savoring it. The touch of someone's hand that you love when you're walking side by side, the sight of their smile when you see them when you walk in the door. One of my favorites is your, your baby sleeping on your chest. There's so many children right now in this church. It's like a tsunami of babies. And so many of you are going to have that moment where you're just sitting on the couch and you fall asleep and your child falls asleep on your chest. And it's just like, what a beautiful, wonderful moment. Life is sweet. And Christians among all people should know this. And should enjoy these realities. There are so many sweet things we can enjoy in life because of the goodness of God. And this is true no matter how old you are. Look at verse 8. So if a person lives many years, let them rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. And all that comes is vanity. What should we do with the reality of the brevity of life? We should remember life is not only sweet, but life is short, so we should enjoy it. Life is short, so we should enjoy it. I believe that's what the teacher is saying. There's only so many years that we have, only so many opportunities to enjoy the good life that God has given to us, and we should enjoy all of the days that God has given us. Many of you are in your younger years, and, and um, I took my, my son to his winter formal last night, and just like, I remember those days, like, those are good days. There's so many things about those days that you're having so much fun and so much opportunity, and, and your view on life is, is, is just so optimistic, and there's so many wonderful things about that season of life. Enjoy every day of it, youth group students. Many of you are in college and you're studying the things that you want to learn about and you want to devote your lives to and you're in community with other people and you're sharing late nights and early mornings and enjoy every moment. That is such a short amount of time. Both of my daughters graduated from college this year and I can tell you four years goes like this. Enjoy every moment, enjoy every day, enjoy every gathering, enjoy every chapel, enjoy every cup of coffee with every friend, enjoy it all. Some of you have gotten past that season in life and you're living a, a single life and you're, you're working and there's so many great things to enjoy about that season of life where you can kind of go where you want and do what you want. And there's so many opportunities and so few obligations. Enjoy every day of that season without just seeking for the next one every moment. Enjoy the moment. Some of you are young and you are married and it's just a wonderful time in life where you and your spouse can go do things and have so much time with each other. And you don't have to watch Netflix all the time. You can actually enjoy one another. And you can go do things and take little weekend trips and go on fun, you know, best days. And without the worry of, you know, we got to find a sitter and all the other things that come with that next stage in life, which is wonderful. Many of you in our church are in that stage. Well, you're raising families. And you're going through these routines with your kids and you're establishing traditions. 
And those are meaningful for them. And there's so many wonderful moments. Enjoy every single day. Listen, I know that the years are, are long and the days are, 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 rather, the days are long and the years are short. I get it. But enjoy the days even if they feel long. Every single one of them. Many of you, your, your, teen, your kids are grown and they're teenagers now. And I, and I want to say enjoy every day. <laughs> Enjoy every day because your teenagers are growing and they're changing and, and, and they're deciding who they're going to be and, and their, their, their minds are being shaped in, in some significant ways and they're growing and they can do new things and you can see all the potential that, that can come in and through their life. It's the age of opportunity, as one author has said. Enjoy every single day. Don't just think about getting through that time because it's hard. Enjoy the days. Enjoy the opportunities. For some of you, your kids are grown. And they've sort of gone out a little bit and they come back sometimes. And it's not the same as it used to be. But enjoy the season that you have where you are an influence over their lives. Even from a distance where they seek your wisdom <laughs> when they need it. <laughs> enjoy being friends with your kids. Enjoy helping them walk through their first job and vocational ideas and the things that they're going to do with their lives. Enjoy encouraging them in all the moments at every single dinner around the table. Some of you have grandkids and your kids are grown and now your kids have kids. Enjoy every single time you get to say goodbye after you've enjoyed them, right? The grandparents are starting to laugh. We know it's true. It's, fi it's fine that it's true. <laughs> Enjoy seeing something of your children in your grandchildren. Enjoy being that person that they can come to, that they can trust. Like there are so, enjoy every single moment, every single day. This is the point I believe the teacher is trying to make. Life is short, so we should enjoy it. One of my mentors over the years was a guy named Gib Martin. I know I've told you probably quite a lot about Gib, but... Gib was in his 80s, and I would go see him up in Seattle, and he had more energy than all the young people combined, and he would just say all the time things like, isn't life wonderful? We'd be like in the car driving, and he'd just turn to the side and be like, isn't life exciting? Because we'd be on our way to some kind of college mentoring group, or, you know, we'd be going to share Christ with this person that had been meeting in the coffee shop, and he'd say, isn't it just exhilarating to talk to other people about Jesus? Kim Martin was a guy that even in his 80s was, was just so excited about every day and every moment. Now look, there is a tension here. Because he's saying rejoice, enjoy all of those moments, but he's also saying remember, rejoice and remember. There is a tension that is here. We should rejoice in all the years that we've been given. We should rejoice in every day that God's been good to give us. But we should do that while remembering we only have so many of them. You could glance down at your card and you could realize you only have so many years. And those years are made up of months, and those months are made up of weeks, and those weeks are made up of days. And at the end of the day, you and I only have so many days we should enjoy them. I want to pause for a minute because I think that this is what the teacher is doing. And I want to say, if you're under 30 years old, you really don't think about this that often. If you're here and you're under 30 years old, you really don't think about this this, this often. I'm going to tell you from experience that on your 30th birthday, you will begin to think about it. Something will begin to change. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm 30. 
you know, and that seems so old. And you'll start to make this orientation. And if you're a young man and you haven't made that orientation by 30, see me after service, okay? <laughs> so like, so you will begin to make that orientation by age 30, trust me. The teacher knows this. He knows that when he talks about the brevity of life, he has to focus on younger people because younger people don't think about this. So he pauses to address all of you who, I would say, let's just say are under 30. You, you, this, you're like, he's addressing you, I think, specifically this morning in some ways. Look at verse 9. Rejoice, enjoy life, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will, God will bring you into judgment. The teacher says it again, rejoice. And I want to tell you right now, this is actually more of an imperative or a command. The teacher is not saying, hey, I think you should rejoice in life because I think God is good and I think he's made this creation for you to enjoy. He's saying, no, I am telling you to rejoice. I am telling you to enjoy life. If you're a young person, he's saying, I am telling you, go out and enjoy the life that God has given you. And there's another command, walk in the ways of your heart. There's another imperative, which I believe he's saying something like, follow your passions. When you are young, follow your passions, go for it. And the sight of your eyes, follow the things that are right in front of you. You might be saying, well, Matt, I don't know what my passions are completely. That's not... That doesn't matter. You only have so many days. There is a sense of urgency here. There are things that you see that are right in front of your eyes every day. Our world is broken, which we'll get to in a moment. And you will see something of the brokenness of the world in the day-to-day -day things of your life. And there will be something that stirs in your heart to say, I have to go fix that problem. That is a God-oriented passion that God is placing something in your heart in the midst of your life to go and to meet those needs to do things for his you know kingdom come his will be done on earth that is as is in heaven do not waste time wondering about what those things are go do them if you're under 30 go do them Kevin DeYoung wrote a book <laughs> just do something and I think oftentimes when you're young, you're like, I really want to know what my calling is. You might not know by then what your calling is completely. Just go do what's in front of you. That thing that is grabbing your heart, that when you think about it, your heart begins to pump a little faster. You start to get excited. It's what you talk to your friends about all the time. Go do that thing for the glory of God and enjoy doing it. You might say, well, I don't really don't even know what that is. Well... We've talked about this concept of spir about spiritual DNA a couple times, and I'm going to throw it up on the screen, but it's, just, it's very, very simple, and we walked through this with our apprentice students a couple of months back. But spiritual DNA just says that there's something God has created you for, created you to do, and you could ask questions like, well, what's my favorite attribute about God? Maybe that would tell me something about what I'm supposed to do. Well, what's my favorite Bible verse or my favorite Bible character? What's my most notable spiritual gift or my most noticeable natural gifting? Who's my most meaningful spiritual mentor? What about them attracted me to them? What's the most maturing moment I've had in life? That time in life where I just felt like I grew up in that moment. What was that? And, and there are others, but, but, but just from this little snapshot, you could, you could 
write down answers to those things and try to make some connections. And I guarantee you, you'll get a good idea of some of the things that God's created you to do. And you can, you could, you can operate from that spiritual DNA and you can go out into our world and you can meet needs for the glory of God and for the good of other people and for your own joy and enjoyment in the process. Don't waste another, listen to me, if you're under 30 years old, do not waste another day not doing this. And if you need help, come and ask. I will be glad to help you walk through this exercise and get on your way. Now look, there's a little caveat. There usually is when we're in Ecclesiastes. <laughs> and the caveat is this, we're not supposed to enjoy ungodly passions. I think some of you have already been thinking about that. When you're saying, like, Matt, live out of your passions, you're thinking, like, wait, doesn't the Bible say, like, the heart is deceitfully wicked? How, how could I know my own heart? My, there's, there's all these ungodly passions that I could give myself to. And, and the Bible uses terms to describe that. I, I get it. I know. So obviously you're not running out into ungodly passions, which is why we started with, what's your favorite attribute about God? What's your favorite Bible character? What's your favorite Bible verse? What's your spiritual gifting, Ben? How has God naturally created you? Who's your favorite spiritual mentor, right? Like we're staying oriented on who God is. So we have godly passions and desires. God will actually judge ungodly passions. Do not spend one more day finding your enjoyment in life in ungodly passions or enjoying some of the things that God has allowed for us to enjoy in moderation, in excess. If you are enjoying things that God has created you to enjoy and you're under 30 and you're enjoying them in excess and not moderation, stop it. Don't go one more day living your life like that either. Because God sees that. And the, uh, the author of Ecclesiastes says, God will judge that. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart from the side of your eyes. But know this, all these things, God will bring you into judgment. There's an unassuming judgment here, which I think maybe many of us miss. I missed it at first. I think the unassuming judgment is where he says, for all these things, for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. For, for all of what? I think for, for not enjoying your youth, for not letting your heart cheer you in the days of your youth, for not living out of the godly passions that God has put inside of you, for not doing those things. There's an unassuming judgment, and I believe God will not only judge us for enjoying ungodly passions, but for not enjoying God and not enjoying the godly passions that he's placed within us. As Christians, we talk about this stuff as sins of commission and sins of omission. And for some of us, we, for some of you, if you're, if you're enjoying, well, I say the same of us, we do this in life, but as young people, for some of you, you are enjoying in excess what God has told you to enjoy in moderation. It's a sin of commission. Don't live another day doing that. But equally on the other side, there are some of you that are so tightly wound and you're so worried about just getting it perfect that you're not living out of the passions that God has so clearly placed inside of you. Don't live another day like that either. I believe the author of Ecclesiastes is saying God judges that also. That's a sin of omission. God has placed it in you and you're not doing anything with it. And you might say, well, why? Why would God judge that? Because we enjoy the things we love. 
We enjoy the things we love. If you're not enjoying God and enjoying the way he's created you and enjoy doing the things that he's made you for, it might be an indication you don't love God the way that you think you do. He wants you to enjoy those things because he wants you to enjoy him because we enjoy the things that we love. Some of us may be a little too loose, enjoying too much. Some of us might need to loosen up and enjoy the things that God has created us for. Take a step of faith. It's pretty quiet. And usually when you're preaching, it's quiet. It's because it's boring. I hope that's not the, the deal. Or it's because it's hitting a, a chord. I think Ecclesiastes hits lots of chords. Like we, God has created us to enjoy the life that he's given us. And I hope that it's hit, this is hitting a chord this morning, especially for you young people. Listen, if life is sweet and short, and if your creator wants us, you to enjoy it as much as possible, what are the things that could keep you from enjoying the life he's created you for? Maybe that's a question in the back of your mind. If he wants me to enjoy life that much because life is that sweet and it's that short, what could keep me from enjoying the life that God's given me? And the teacher knows that you're going to ask this question. He's a smart guy, if you haven't noticed. So he answers the question. Look at verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. I believe here we see that life is too sweet and life is too short to worry and to whine. Like these are the two things he's saying, like th these are the two things that can keep you from enjoying the life that God has created you for. You worry too much and you whine about too many things. Worrying and whining, and the whining is actually about something specific here this morning, but worry and whining are the things that keep us from enjoying the life that God's created for us. Remove vexation from your heart, put away pain from your body. These things are again imperatives. He's saying get rid of the anxiety in your life and stop whining about all the physical pain that's in your body. And enjoy the life that God has given you. Now, I know hearing that can be hard to take, and I'm going to try to tread lightly. The teacher, though, I believe says it, so I'm going to say it. If we want to enjoy life the way God intends, we need to put away our worry. Because worry takes our eyes off of our creator, and it puts our eyes on all the little crises that we make up for our own life. Worry takes our eyes off of our passions, the things that we should be doing, and puts our eyes onto our problems, the things that overwhelm us. Worry takes our eyes off of all the opportunities we have to, to do good for the glory of God and for our joy, and it fixes our eyes on all of the obstacles that are in the way of that. We get so focused on the obstacles, we can't see the opportunities that God's inviting us into. Like, worry and anxiety stifles us in so many ways. And I want to say, actually, it is physically impossible to worry and to enjoy the life that God has intended for us at the same time. You know how I know that? Because I was a biomed major. And I, I talked with someone actually about that this morning. And like, I know a little bit about the body. I know enough to be dangerous. <laughs> about how the body works biochemically. Maybe some of you know a lot more than I do, probably do. Worry and anxiety, it affects your heart. You can have a heart condition. You'll have high blood pressure and you won't be able to function. 
some of your organs will actually get damaged and you won't even know what's wrong with your body, but I'm gonna tell you, that's what it is. You have too much anxiety and stress and it's damaging your organs and your body isn't functioning properly. You have problems breathing, you have shortness of breath. You have like gastrointestinal stuff going on. You have issues all the time. You have insomnia and you actually can't sleep very well. You have blood sugar issues and you're always up and down and all over the place in terms of your blood sugar. You're sick a lot because your, your immune system is decreased and depleted. And worry and anxiety does that physiologically to your body. And you're gaining weight and you're getting you know, frustrated with yourself because your metabolism is slowing. Your muscle tension is, is constant and you're not flexible. You're stiff all the time. You have chronic headaches. Like th These are many of the symptoms of, of anxiety and worry on the human body. It's physically impossible to then get out and enjoy the life that God has given us when all of those things are pressing in on us. These things make it really hard to enjoy life the way God intends. And so I know some of you are saying right now, Matt, <laughs> look, I can't just snap my fingers and make my anxiety go away. It doesn't work like that. I can't just go like this and then like all my worry's gone. Like, that's not how this works. And I wanna say, I know. And so as an aside this morning, this is not in the passage, but just very, very quickly, I just wanna give you four helpful ways to put away worry because, and this is all from the Bible. I just, I wanna do this because the teacher literally says to do it. It's an imperative, put it away. Get rid of the vexation, remove it. So how do, you, how do we do that? How, how can we do that? I think there's at least four ways the Bible tells us. One, to think about God more than ourselves. And this is, I think, part of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6. Don't be anxious, saying, what are we to eat and drink? And what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And isn't that true? Think about Jesus more than we think about ourselves. That I think will help us to put away worry. Secondly, pray every time, every time we feel anxious. Do not be anxious about anything, but in what? Everything. I think there's something specific in mind here, but Paul says in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How do we put away anxiety? Think on the winds instead of the worry. Paul goes on to say, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, whatever's excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, think about these things. You wanna put away worry in your life? Like think about the winds, the positive things. Again, I think there's something specific in mind here, but think about those things, not the worry. If you want to put away worry, look for a winsome example. Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. That circumstance might not change, but the God of peace is with you in it and you know it and your worry begins to subside. How do we put away worry? I think there's more ways. I think these are at least four obvious ones that the Bible shares, us, sh shares with us. And I hope, I hope that they're helpful to you in some way this morning. 
but it's not just worry that we have to put away to enjoy the life that God intends. If we want to enjoy the life that God intends for us to live as people and as his people, we also have to put away whining, even about the subtle physical pain we can endure in our youth. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. Again, this is an imperative, which is kind of strange. And you're saying, well, this sermon's getting kind of strange. I'm supposed to just like snap my fingers and put away my anxiety? No. I just told you, I think there's at least four ways to, to do that. There's more. I'm supposed to just snap my fingers and sort of like put away the physical pain that's in my body? No, no, no. I, I don't think that's what he's saying. I, I, I think he's certainly speaking in generalities. And I believe the generalities are, are this, that younger people, I'm sorry, younger people, they can tend to be a little soft when it comes to pain. And all the older people said, amen. <laughs> Younger people can tend to be a little soft when it comes to pain. That's why when you watch a movie and there's like that old like gritty Viking dude and he gets stabbed but he keeps fighting anyway, it's like, he's like, yeah, whatever, I got stabbed. Older people have an ability to take pain. If you've ever been with an older person in a hospital room when something really uncomfortable is going on, you know what I'm talking about. Probably because they've been through a lot of pain in life and they know what real pain is like. Again, another caveat, and there are caveats in the book of Ecclesiastes, to be sure. <laughs> um, I'm not sure he's thinking about chronic pain and health conditions, things like that. And I know many people in this room may struggle with them or have people to do. I have in my life, I had a disc bulge when I was 30 years old. It was the worst one my wife's mom's chiropractor had ever seen. And I would cry in the car because the pain was so bad. And it took me three months to get rid of it. And I, I am sympathetic to chronic pain because I've lived through it and it's horrible. Okay, so little caveat this morning. We can't just snap our fingers and make pain be gone, but we can choose how we will respond to it. And we can choose if we will just focus on it all the time. I learned this lesson as a youth pastor. One of my youth group students was a student named Sean, Sean Stewart. Sean Stewart was in a wheelchair and um, he had some other um, physical issues. And, but Sean was like, <laughs> he was like the most joyful kid in our youth group. And he would stroll in on his wheelchair, every youth group. He was faithfully attended everything. We'd pray at the, at the flagpole, you know, on early in the mornings and Sean would just roll up and he'd be the first one there and the most joyful one. Sean did not choose to make his pain and his ailments his focus. I learned this at a young age through um, a really courageous young man named Sean Stewart. But we learned this from people like Paul too. Remember, Paul says three times, I pleaded with the Lord about this, this thorn in the flesh, that I, it should leave me. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul did not focus on his physical ailment, although it was there. Think about Isaiah 53. Think about Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before it shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. I mean, in moments where it's not just physical pain, okay? There's, there's, there's more that's going on there. Like Jesus focused on what was being accomplished through what he was doing. He focused on the glory of the God and the glory of God and the good of other people. And again, I want to tread as lightly as I could possibly could here. But this is part of what I believe the teacher is saying. If life is sweet and short, 
And if our creator wants us to enjoy it as much as we possibly can, what are the things that can keep us from enjoying it? Well, worry, anxiety, whining, especially about physical things, and especially when we're young, this is his point. But there's something else the teacher says can keep us from enjoying our creator. Verse one of chapter 12, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil day comes and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Like life is too short and life is too sweet rather and life is too short to forget our creator. It's another thing, we can just forget about God. We'd be so busy enjoying all these things that we forget the one that created them for us to enjoy. The teacher tells us to remember our creator. Why didn't he say God? Why did he say remember God in the days of your youth? He says, remember your creator. I think he's wanting to point our attention to the reality that God is the one that did create all of these things for us to enjoy. He wants to remind us that every good thing that we see, every good thing that we experience in life was created by God or derived from something that God created. Everything that God created in the beginning was what? It was good. James says it this way, and we often go to the book of James when we're in the book of Ecclesiastes because of the wisdom that is found in James. And James says, do not be deceived, my brothers. Don't be deceived by this. Don't forget this. Don't think this comes from someone else or from somewhere else. Do not be deceived. You're not going to find this in ungodly passions. You're not going to find this in the next thing that the world says you should. You're not going to find this in the next thing that goes viral on Instagram. Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. He's not going to change. He's always been this way, good, and he always will be good. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. <laughs> that people should see these same things in and through our lives. This week, Tommy, our youth director, um, was telling me about his study of Jonathan Edwards and that Edwards had this journalist journal called the, the Miscellaneum, something like that, I believe. It was a journal where he would have miscellaneous thoughts, but he would have it with him. And when he would walk through nature, in his, in his 20s, the young Edwards would walk through nature and he would see things and then he would, he would stop and he'd take out his journal and he'd write down what he saw, you know, about the leaves and the trees and the sun shining through them and then talk about, God, thank you for giving me this and helping me see you in the midst of these things. And it wasn't just enjoying those things for the sake of enjoying them, but seeing God in the midst of them. I love that practice. There's one last thing the teacher says can keep us from enjoying our creator as we end our time together. It starts in verse two and goes all the way through the end. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. I believe he's saying life is too sweet and life is too short to take our best years for granted. And again, if you're under 30, I'm not saying there are not good years after 30. <laughs> I can guarantee you there are, they're different years. But he's specifically talking to you, I believe in some ways right now, if you're young. Life is too sweet, life is too short to take those best years for granted. And he repeats before three times in verse one, verse two and verse six in this section. And this means something. And I think what, it's, what he means is, this is gonna happen sooner than you think. If you're young, this is gonna happen sooner than you think. This is gonna come on you quickly. And you're gonna look back and you're gonna like, how did that, how did that happen? And it's gonna already have happened. And the teacher paints a pretty stark picture. He's, <laughs> he's trying to get our attention. 
especially if you're young, he wants your attention this morning. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, don't take for granted that there will be days when your hands are weak and they become shaky. You can't like do things that you used to do. You can't defend yourself very well anymore. Your, your hands are weak and they're shaky. Don't take that for granted. And the strong men are bent. Like don't take for granted that there will be days when your legs are weak and you're bow-legged and it's hard for you to walk, though you might have been the fastest person on your team at one point in life. And the grinders cease because they are few. Don't take for granted that there'll be a time when you don't have as many teeth as you do now. Isn't that a pleasant thought? They're broken or they're gone. Invisalign will not help you. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. Don't take for granted that will be a time when your vision is blurry. <laughs> take that from me. You wouldn't want me preaching this sermon without my glasses. I would be even more confused. That was a joke. That was supposed to be a church joke, but. And the doors on the street are shut. Like, don't take for granted that it won't be a time when you're, you're, you won't be able to hear so well the stuff that's happening outside your home. When the sound of the grinding is low, don't take for granted that you won't have that many teeth. And this is a really hard thought, but you'll only be able to eat stuff that is soft. When one rises up at the sound of a bird, don't take for granted that there'll be a day where you won't be able to sleep well. And the daughters of the song are brought low. Your voice will begin to crack and tremble and be soft and people will need help hearing you because your voice is not what it used to be. They're afraid of what is high. Don't take for granted that there'll be a, a time when you're not bungee jumping anymore or anything like that. You just are too scared to climb your stairs. And terrors are in the way. Don't take for granted there'll be a time where you won't want to travel very far. All those midnight, you know, overnight runs to some fun place with your college friends. The days are going to come more soon than you think where you won't even want to travel very far. And the almond tree blossoms. To take for granted that there won't be a day where your hair is white. Almond trees from far, their blossoms look white. Your, your hair is going to be all white. <laughs> Trust me. And the grasshopper drags, drags itself along. Don't take for granted there'll be a day when all your agility will be gone. You won't be able to run the sprints you used to or be so quick with your quick twitch muscles. Like you won't be able to be so fast and agile like the grasshopper. There will be days when you will be slow. And desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Don't take for granted that there'll be a day when you won't even want to eat because your body is shutting down. Before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken and the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel is broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. Don't take for granted that there will be a day when your life ends and it happens more suddenly than you think. The cord that, that, that hangs, the, the bowl snaps. The ball falls to the ground and it's broken. The pitcher falls that holds the water that symbolizes life and it is shattered. The wheel that is spinning is broken and it can't turn anymore. Don't be surprised. Don't take for granted. There will be a day when your life ends and will be more suddenly than you think. This is what the teacher is saying. And he's saying it because we live in a broken world. Four times in this passage, he says something about the brokenness of the world, or he uses that word broken, or referencing the term. And he wants to drive home the point that we live in a broken world. When we live under the sun, S-U-N, we live under and in a broken world. 
And what's the end of living in a broken world? I believe verse eight tells us. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, it's all vanity. Without any hope beyond this brokenness, it's all meaningless. If you're not yet a Christian, this is why, this is why we have so much joy this morning when we sing. This is why when you came in this morning, you saw people like joyful and talking to one another. It's not just because we have a relationship with another. It's because our relationship is, is grounded in the truth of the gospel. It's grounded in the good news of Jesus Christ. That we know that this is actually not the end because there's not just life under the sun, S-U-N. There's life under the sun, S-O-N. And we know that, that this world is broken, that there was a time when the world was unbroken. God created it in a perfect state. But God told Adam and Eve that if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die, and they did, and they would. And it would not just be a physical death, but there would be spiritual death that would enter into the world and into humanity because of a broken relationship, not with each other, but with God. But our creator, he wasn't content to leave us in that place. And he, he chose to enter his creation as a pers in the person of Jesus Christ, he entered into his broken creation and he lived a life that we could never live, a perfectly sinless life before God. And you know what this, this week as I was studying Ecclesiastes made me realize? There is no one who ever in history has enjoyed life so much as Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I don't know if your like picture of Jesus is like some uptight guy who always has to follow the rule every time. I don't think that's him. <laughs> I think Jesus saw the will of God, obeyed it every time, enjoyed every sunset, every meal, every sip of wine. They call him a drunkard and a glutton and a friend of sinners. Every relationship, every gathering, every walk along the road, every time the wind blew through his hair, like every time he grabbed the hand of his mother or someone that he loved. Like Jesus enjoyed life more than anyone. He had to have. He lived a life we could never live, a life perfectly oriented to God, enjoying life more than anyone ever could, perfectly obedient to God. He died the death that we should have died on the cross and in our place and for our sins. All the times that we forget about our creator and we don't enjoy his creation or we find enjoyment in someone or something else outside of him. All the times we have sinned against him. He took all of that on the cross in our place. And he rose to give us a life we could never have otherwise, a life where we're forgiven for all that sin, and now we're free to enjoy the life that God's given us. And if you're a village partner, there's no accident that delighting in Jesus is the first distinctive that we have as a church. This is where it's at. Delighting in God. And this is why joy is one of our seven values. We can only pick so many values, but joy is in there. <laughs> and that is, that's not an accident. This is where it's at living a joyful life, enjoying the life that God has granted us by his grace. And I think this is good news this morning that we can enjoy this life and we can enjoy the life to come because of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And I hope that's good news for you this morning. This morning as we make a transition to, um, to begin singing and responding to this through song, through taking communion, through giving, and the ways that we respond, um, I invited Bob and Linda to come share with us this morning because I just felt like this morning would be an appropriate morning to honor the people in our congregation who have lived more years than others. Um, and if you don't believe the teacher and you don't believe me, maybe you'd believe Bob. <laughs> maybe you believe 
Linda, maybe you would want to hear some of the things that they have to say. And so I just asked Bob and Linda if they could each share, especially with all of you who are younger, if they could each share just one word of godly wisdom for the younger people in our congregation. Um, Bob's in his 90s now, and Bob's a stud, if you can't see that. Yeah. I was thinking about Bob the other day. Um, I took Luke down to, um, to hook up with his surf team at Crean, and they were surfing down at Old Man's, and we backed the truck up to Dog Patch, and I put the bed of the truck down, and I sat down, and oh, I took a deep breath, and I looked out there, and I was like, that's where Bob Osborne was surfing for all those years. Bob's a legend in the water. Bob's a legend in our, our county. Bob's a legend in our church. He's the oldest, longest standing member of the village church. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Bob, come on up here. I asked Bob to share just one piece of godly wisdom that he would share with all of you who are younger than him, which well, is all of you. <laughs> well, well, first of all, today's message kind of shot my message. Uh, but anyway, uh, I accepted the Lord when I was 12 years old. But when I was a teenager, probably a sophomore in high school, I fell away. But I always knew that Jesus was around, but I just didn't follow his ways. And as Matt spoke today, life would have been much more enjoyable if I followed his ways rather than do it my way. My way was hurtful. It hurt me. I would like to go back and start over again. You hear so many people say, I would not like to start over, but I would because Jesus would be in my life for that period of time. In about 1970, I'd gone through some pretty tough times and uh, Margaret, my wife now, invited me to Calvary Chapel uh, under Chuck Smith. And that was the first time in a long, long time that I understood and, and it came to mind that Jesus loved me even though I was a sinner. All I had to do was turn around and trust in him and turn my life back to him. That was so encouraging. And at that time, his teaching, he went through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, in about two years. And we would go on Sunday evening for that teaching. And that grounded me in the Lord. It was so refreshing to find out how many people trusted in the Lord and had faith in Jesus. That was encouraged me to follow Jesus. You know, one of the things that it, in, the, in Romans 11:6 it says, without faith, 
it is impossible to please him. Faith is so important, just like when we hear the good news. By faith, we understand that. As I say, I wish that I would have followed God. I would recommend that you get into a Bible study, read the Bible every day. That's been so encouraging to me to pick up the Bible in the morning. I know it's easier now that I'm retired, <laughs> but there are apps that can help you. Get the one-year Bible that you can read through in one year, and it and just encourage you so much. That's where it's at, Bob. In God's word, you've always been a man like that ever since I've been here. Yeah. And I appreciate that about you. Uh, thank you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean upon your own understandings. We live in a world that is so mixed up now. So trust in him. He is in complete control. Jesus is in complete control. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. And Bob Osborne, what a good and godly man. This chart, I'm on the bottom line. That's right. <laughs> this chart's not long enough for Bob Osborne. <laughs> you know, it's uh, awesome. when you were talking about uh, in verse 11, verse 10. I worried about getting up these steps. Yeah, we got, we got, some, we got some young guys to help you down. Thanks, Bob. Linda Martin. Um, Linda, we've known each other a while. Our families knew each other before, before you were here. Mm -hmm. And um, I asked you to share one piece of godly wisdom that you'd want to pass along to a younger generation. And I appreciate you taking that opportunity. Well, you didn't tell me I would have to follow such a good act, though. Well, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Isn't he wonderful? I mean, really, he's a wonderful. When uh, Matt asked me to speak to you, right away I knew what I wanted to say because it was already in my mind because I had just read it. Uh, and it was from St. Augustine. And he said that being a Christian is not something you can do alone. It takes a community. When I walked into this church 12 years ago, I was not a believer. And I knew nothing about the Bible. I knew nothing about Jesus. When I sat here the first day, I learned something, and I came back, and I kept repeating that, and I kept coming back, and I kept learning, and I realized how much I didn't know. When I grew up in school, we first started with, you know, learning the reading, writing, and history, and all of that, and then when you get older, you get to be an adult. And guess what happens when you're an adult? Matt was sharing some of that earlier. You get to be part of the school of hard knocks. Hard knocks is how you learn when you're in those ages. And then when you get to be 
closer to the end, where I'm only on the second line, I'm happy to say. <laughs> um, but you get, uh, I was still, I was there, I was, what, 67 years old, and I didn't know anything about the Lord, but I came in here and I learned. And I learned because of your community, your being here. If you had not been here, I never would have learned about the Lord, and I never, I never would be where I am today. I came in here scared. I came in here in terrible pain, with terrible anxiety, and lots of worries, and I was alone. But because of you, I'm not alone anymore. Thanks. Linda. I have the Lord. Linda, you you uh, you get to like everything you can in this church, and now we know why. Yeah, because that's, that's the way God is moving your life, yeah. and it's a great place to learn. Yeah. And I think that's really great wisdom in the midst of a culture that people are kind of tending to fragment. You're saying, no, we're going to come in and we're going to be in community. Yeah. And we appreciate that. We are a village here. Thanks, Linda. You want to give Linda a hand this morning? You good? Look at that. The grasshopper still lives. We're going to sing a few songs. Guys, I don't know if we have time to sing all our songs. I'm just going to say that publicly. Um, you guys can figure that out. I trust you. Um, thank you to the rest of you guys, for, of you all, for giving us time this morning to do that. My heart mostly in this was just to honor the older people in our congregation and to remind us that we have a lot to learn from them. Would you pray with me? And we're going to stand after that, and we're going to sing. Jesus, thank you for um, your kindness in creating the things that you have for us to enjoy. Thank you for doing it because you want to bring yourself glory and you want to bring us joy and you want the good of the people around us. Help us to live our lives free from worry and anxiety and whining and having our hearts and minds focused on so many other things. Help us to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. We trust all these things will be added to us. Lord, thank you for the life that you've given us. We're grateful and thank you for the the faithful saints in this church that are such a great example to all of us. We thank you, we praise you, we worship you. We do it in your name, Jesus.